you guys could turn to Exodus 17. That's what we're going to be looking at today. I don't have much of a voice today, so I'm going to give it all so I have none this week. Um, but we're going to be continuing our series called Exodus Journey, where we are just simply looking at God's freeing of Israel from slavery in Egypt, leading them to complete freedom um, in the promised land that would become known as Israel. We took a break uh, for Christmas. We took a break for our relationship status series, and then our assistant pastor, Ladina Doherty, brought us back into that series last weekend with a look at God providing for all of our needs. Um, water from rocks, manna from heaven, and quails from wherever quails come from. Um, but today we're going to continue this, this journey in Exodus 17, verse number 8. And as we um, begin to look into the passage, how many of you have ever had your arm fall asleep while you were asleep? Where your arm went numb. Sometimes I, and, and it, typically you don't just wake up dead out of sleep and think, I can't feel my arm. Uh, it's typically a gradual thing where like you go from deep sleep to complete alertness over the course of about two hours. Um, in your dream, you're like, I can't feel my pinky. And a couple minutes later, I don't, I'm not sure if I feel my ring finger. And you go through all of your fingers, and about an hour later, you're about 50 to 70% awake, and you're like, do I even have an arm? And then when you do wake up, sometimes you're panicked, and sometimes I've actually thought, did someone saw my arm off while I was sleeping? Um, that'd be terrifying, by the way. But sometimes we have body parts go numb, where you just can't feel your arms. Or when your arm, or maybe even your leg, if it's ever fallen asleep, when they wake up, it's just as terrifying as when they're going to sleep because it feels like there's about a bazillion needles poking you at one time. And if you are married, um, you don't want to wake up your spouse and let them know, hey, will you look to see if I have an arm? Are you poking me with an obscene amount of needles. My kids are on a retreat this week, and my wife and I had a, a romantic weekend alone that involved two dogs sleeping with us um, the last couple of nights. I'm excited for my kids to come home, not just because my kids, but I want the dogs out of the bed. Um, and so sleep can be interesting, but, but it's difficult sometimes to know what you're doing with, with your limbs. How many of you have ever had to hold on to something tightly where you could not let go, where you had to hold on as long as you could. And movie scenes do this all the time, whether it's you know, Luke Skywalker trying to hold on within the Cloud City or it is uh, the Black Widow and Hawkeye trying to battle who's going to be the one to fall off the cliff. Um, you see all of these things. Or, or the Lion King, where, um, what's, what's uh, Simba's dad's name? Thank you. Thank you, nerds. Okay. Or, uh, you know, Mufasa, he's, he's clinging uh, to a cliff, and then his brother's name's Scar, right? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. You know, he, he, he makes sure that he falls, and it looks like an accident. And so holding on can be incredibly difficult at times. Um, I had a competition I was taking part in once where um, I won't bore you with the whole story, but basically I had to hold on to a bicycle handle uh, without actual handle, so it was just like greased metal, and it was me versus like six other players, and the bottom dropped out, 
to a 40-foot drop, and we had to see who could hold on the longest. Um, but no need to fear. Um, we had repelling gear on, and they dropped me way too fast once I won. Um, but it's hard to hold on sometimes, and it's hard to keep your hands lifted up when you've got the weight of the world on your uh, shoulders. What's the name of the strong sister in, um, in Canto? Oh, yes. Nerds are uniting today. You know, she just really sometimes needed to let it out. She wanted to cave under pressure, right? It's hard sometimes to hold things up and to keep things that are going like Luisa in Encanto. It's a movie good uh, film. So holding things up, holding on tightly. How many of you watch Survivor? Um, Or maybe you've watched Survivor over like the 20, what is it, 23 years the show's been on television? You thought you were old. You remember watching the first season? Wow. Um, But they always have these challenges where you've got to try to, you know, hold on to something the longest or stand on one foot the longest or, or keep a bucket above your head as long as you can. And sometimes something that weighs like a pound can seem like it weighs a million pounds if you hold it up in the air long enough. And so if, if, you're, if you're tired, if you're, if you're weary, if you are burdened from holding burdens for so long, Jesus tells us that we can cast our cares on him. Scripture tells us that the, the yoke of Jesus is light. His, his burden is light. His yoke, it is easy. He says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And so I want to talk today about lifting up your hands. Lifting up your hands and then lifting up the hands of others. Or being in battle. Each of us have a role to play. So in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8, it says this. Remember, Israel just recently has crossed through the Red Sea. They have been freed from slavery. They're already complaining several weeks later. God has just miraculously provided them with water, with quail, and with manna. But now they are about to face a different sort of dilemma. So verse 8 says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. So they're under attack. If you go back to when God originally um, let the Israelites free from Egypt, uh, as the Pharaoh finally relented and let them go, the scriptures record that God sent them a way which would allow them to avoid serious battle immediately because God knew if they would have faced this kind of battle immediately, they would have grown disheartened and they would have turned back. Ironically, God knew that they were going to do that day after day after day, regardless of the battle, regardless of the hunger, regardless of the thirst. This was the state of their heart as it is ours is to run away and to turn back. But now they're facing battle. Now they're facing this attack. This is the first battle that this nation has literally ever had to face. There has not been a battle in this family since about 400 years ago uh, with their ancestor, uh, Jacob, who we know as Israel. And now about maybe upwards of 2 million people are going to have to do something they've never had to do before. Going to have to face war. One thing I want to encourage you with today is that just because you're on the path to freedom, just because you have been free in Christ, it doesn't mean that you will not face battles. In fact, I think it means you'll face more. 
It's just that now the battles are worth fighting. Now the battles are for something truly. You have something that you're fighting for in Christ. And so followers of Jesus who are filled with the Spirit, who have the love of God, which cast out fear within them, in a perfect world, we don't run from battles. We actually lean into them because God is the one that's fighting our battles, and we're not actually fighting them ourselves. So don't be discouraged if a battle is in front of you or standing in the way. You might actually stop and be encouraged because the battle in front of you might be the banner or the signal or the sign or the flag telling you that you're actually on the right path. Because if you're going in the same direction as your enemy, you're never going to face any opposition. But when you are going in the opposite direction of your enemy, opposition is exactly what you can expect to face. Jesus told his followers, and in doing so, he tells us, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. And so we face difficulty. Jesus said, in the world, there will be tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And when we have had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands and literally millions upon millions of Christians before us be martyred for their faith or in association with their faith, we get a little bit discouraged if someone comments something negative on social media where people have been sought into for their faith. Christians face battles for following Jesus. They killed Jesus, and if we're following him, what is it that we expect? So verse number 9. Moses said to Joshua, this is the first time we're introduced to Joshua. He is going to become the leading character in this story eventually. Joshua, at this point, a young man who God is calling eventually to take over for Moses. We do not know this yet. Spoiler. Um, it says, Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. So we're under attack. So rally a group of warriors. They'd never been warriors before. They never fought before, but rally them anyways. Rally a group of fighters. Uh, we talked a couple of months ago that it's likely that when Israel pillaged the Egyptians, as the Egyptians were giving them things just to get out of the country, they likely took with them armor and weaponry as well. And so they likely have weapons that they accumulated on their way out and so Moses tells Joshua, go fight the battle. He says, tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. I believe this is the second time this has been called the staff of God. But this is Moses' staff. It is the same staff that he held up when the Red Sea was parted. It is the same staff that he had just hit a rock to have water come out from it. But Moses said, I'm going to stand up on that hill with the staff of God in my hands and it says, so Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. So Joshua doesn't ask. There may have been a, a conversation, but he's like, go fight the battle. I'm standing on a mountain with a stick. That doesn't seem very helpful. But go, that's where I'll be. I want you to fight the battle. And it says, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. I just have to insert this really cheesy pastor joke. I didn't know I was speaking on this until last night, and I couldn't get this out of my mind. So I can imagine, if you just follow me for a second, um, the whole battle is going on, and, and people see Moses and Aaron, and now we're introduced to this figure, her, 
going up to the top of a hill. And I can imagine some guys in the battle saying, who's going up on the hill with Moses? And I'm saying, uh, Aaron and her. No, not her, him. Yeah, that's her. No. So we could, we could go real far. We could, we could take it real, it's, it's good. Um, we got to stop. Um, so Moses, Aaron, and her, H-U-R, he, him pronouns. Um, Moses, Aaron, and her went to the top of the hill. And it says, as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Don't you wish battles were this easy for us down in the field? Like, raise your hands and you win. Put them down and you lose. But leaders have to hold the, the warriors up. Leaders have to bring the forces before the Lord. Leaders have to sometimes pick up and lift the weight of the army that they are in command of. So you might be in the midst of a battle today, but God is the one who is fighting the battle for you. God is the victory of that battle you're fighting, as evidenced here by the fact that Moses was bringing the battle before the Lord. Moses was interceding on behalf of the people that this battle would be won while the armies were fighting the battles with swords and spears and shields and bows and arrows and hand-to-hand combat. Moses was up on a mountain fighting the battle in intercessory prayer before the Lord. And he had her and Aaron there with him. What are they, what are they doing? You see, you, you might be fighting this, but, but God's fighting it. God is the victory. And, and one thing that you've got to understand that we have to go back to every time we look at Scripture is that God doesn't need Moses to win the battle. God doesn't need her to win the battle. God doesn't need Aaron to win the battle. God doesn't need Joshua to win the battle. God doesn't even need the army to win the battle. In fact, there are multiple times in this story where God does all the work. And sometimes I stand back and say, God, why do you even use me? Why do you even choose us? Why why are you using us if you could do it yourself? And I don't always have the answer for that, but I know that this is how God does it. God does it by using people, and it is a privilege to be used by God. God fights battles by using people. It is a privilege to be used by the Spirit and the power of God. And if it means that I have to sit in a tent all day and not be used by God, or if I have to go out into a battle and be used by God and die, I'd rather go to battle than sit in a tent and never be used by God. God uses those he has plans for. Scripture says in Romans 8, 28, God works all things together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. If you love God, you're called according to his purpose. If you follow Jesus, you're called according to his purpose. God wants to use you. It might not be fun. It probably won't be. It might not be comfortable. In fact, I can guarantee it won't. But it's worth it. It's a privilege to know that the creator of the cosmos wants to use someone like Aaron or her or Moses or Joshua or Frank who's swinging the sword in the army. His name's not listed in Exodus 17. See, God didn't need them, but this is how God does it. 
Verse 12 says, when Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. You ever not know how you could help someone who had given all they had and were exhausted? You ever not known, like, how can you be of service to someone who, who looks like they're so great, looks like they're doing so much? Sometimes all they need is a chair. Sometimes all they need is rest. How can I allow you to rest? Oh, you're too busy holding up your hands to even answer. Well, let us put a stool under you. Okay, Moses, sit down, keep your arms up. You can rest. We're here to serve. And so they put a seat under Moses, and it says Aaron and her held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands were made steady until sunset. It gets easier when somebody holds your hands up. Your fingers still go numb. But it's, it's not as difficult to bear the weight of whatever responsibility God has put in your hands when you've got errands and hers to hold up your arms to be able to lead the army, the war, the battle that God has sent you into. Verse 13 says, So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Why did he overcome? Because Moses kept his hands up. How did he overcome? Because Aaron and Hur held Moses' hands up. Well, how did Aaron and Hur, how were they able to hold his hands up? Because they were willing vessels. God told them to do it, and they did it. Why didn't God step in and do it himself? He did. He just used these men to accomplish it. Either way, God got the glory and Really, maybe even more, because when God uses weaklings who can't even hold up their hands, God gets even more victory, even more glory. He could use weak, fleshly vessels, people like us, to accomplish the mission and the purposes of all creation. See, we all have a part to play. The entire New Testament of the Bible talks about the church. It talks about the body of Christ, and in the body of Christ, every single member is needed and is invaluable. How many of you, when you got COVID this last um, couple of, of years, um, I don't have COVID, by the way. I've taken three tests. I just lost my voice. Um, but how many of you, when you got COVID, you lost your sense of smell, or you lost your sense of taste? Or I didn't lose it, but for me, for about two weeks back in October when I had COVID, everything just tasted like, I mean, it's gross, but it tasted like blood. Pastor, how do you know what blood tastes like? You know what it tastes like. It was gross. It's things like that that make you appreciate how valuable every single taste bud is. It's things like that that remind you how wonderful, is it called the olfactory nerves? We'll call it that. How wonderful olfactory nerves are for allowing you to smell. We all have a part to play. Taste buds are important, amen? Olfactory nerves, they're important too. And your arm that goes to sleep, sometimes I think we're just reminded like, wow, it would be really inconvenient to not have an arm when you recognize that it's asleep. So each member has this valuable part to play. 
whether you're a taste bud or an arm, whether you're a little toe or a right earlobe, every member has a part to play. So this is how we're going to kind of wrap this up. There's three different parts that are being played here in this account. You could stretch it to four, but we're going to focus on three. Some people are warriors, some people are leaders, and some people are pillars. There are warriors, leaders, and pillars. And I would say Joshua here, we call him a general, but overall at this moment in history, he is a warrior. So there are warriors, leaders, and pillars. And I have found throughout my life that your role usually changes. You usually start out as a warrior. And maybe God will call you to be some kind of a leader. We're all a leader in our own right, but typically those who are leaders were warriors first. In fact, if someone wasn't a warrior first, I don't really want to follow them if they're my leader. And so there are people who were warriors, but now they're leaders. But leaders sometimes grow old. Leaders sometimes can't lift their hands up. And so oftentimes maybe you were a leader, but now you're a pillar. You might say, well, pastor, which is more important? Mm, pillars. I, I was tempted to say, oh, they're all equal, but they're, they're really not. Pillars have wisdom. Pillars have experience. Pillars have knowledge. Pillars have a lot of stuff that they've gone through. And sometimes people will, will play these stupid games with, with church or religion and say, like, I don't want to follow a leader who's been through hard times before. I don't want to follow someone who, who, who's, who's been through hell and back. I want to follow someone who's had a perfect life. Well, that's why we're following Jesus, dummy. That's the one we're following. And the pillars who've gone through garbage and hell and every other word, you want to say, those are the most solid, strong pillars you're going to find. You look to pillars who have overcome the struggles, not by their own efforts or arrogance, but because God was the one holding their hands up because they had leaders that they depended on, that they served, and they once too fought the battle. And so you might be asking yourself, like, am I transitioning from being a warrior to a leader or a leader to a pillar? I don't know where I am, who I am. I just know everybody's got a part to play. And at some point, we're all warriors. We're not necessarily always leaders in a sense of of what we're talking about today, but we can all be pillars. So, If you are a warrior, here's my encouragement for you. If you're a warrior, look up. Imagine them fighting that battle and looking up and like, there's Moses, there's Aaron, and there's her. No, that's that's a guy. We're like, no, we know. Her, Aaron, Moses, there they are. They're there. They're fighting for us. And by them fighting for us, it showed that God is actually fighting for us. And this story reminds me so much of the book of Acts, where in the book of Acts, there was a young man named Stephen. And Stephen was a warrior in the battlefield of the early church, doing good, making sure that widows were fed and taken care of, making sure the gospel was being preached, making sure that the church was being overseen, taken care of and served and ministered to and prayed for. And religious people, like religious people often do, they don't like it when when good things are going on. And so religious people, led by a man by the name of Saul, um, sought to put Stephen to death for doing good. 
people get put to death for doing good, by the way. Sought to put Stephen to death for doing good. And so they, they picked up stones and they, they threw stones at him. They stoned him until he died. But while he was being pummeled by these rocks, it says he, he looked up into the heavens as he's literally preaching this, I think it's actually the longest sermon in the New Testament. Imagine preaching the longest sermon in the Bible while you're getting stoned to death. So he's getting stoned to death. He looks up into the heaven, and, and there is Jesus Christ standing for him. And so while he's fighting the battle, it would look as though Stephen lost the battle. But let me tell you something. Stephen didn't lose that battle. He won. And every drop of blood that was poured on the streets of Jerusalem as every stone pummeled his body was another person coming into the kingdom of Jesus Christ because his testimony was strong enough to hold out until the very last breath left his body because he had someone like Moses standing on top of the hill for him, but someone who Moses can't even compare to, Jesus himself. Hebrews tells us that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And you might say, Pastor Anthony, does that mean my deceased grandparents or parents or brothers or sisters or spouses are cheering for me during my bowling league game? Probably not. But it does mean that those who have followed Jesus are in paradise in the presence of God. Somehow, Hebrews tells us, like, they're aware of things happening here with loved ones that they have left behind. And what faithful saints of God are doing in paradise with Jesus, I don't think they're obsessed with watching us all the time, but I know they're cheering us on. And so we don't worship our ancestors or, or speak to or pray to them. That's, that's necromancy and idolatry. We can take great confidence in knowing they're cheering for us. They want what's best for us. They want what God has for us. And I believe that saints who are in paradise with Jesus, they are like the Moseses and Aaron's and hers lifting us up before God because they're right there in his presence. And so if you're a warrior, look up. You've got people who are rooting for you. And if you're on the side of Christ, then all of heaven is on your side. And I like that phrase. If you're on the side of Christ, all of heaven is for you. If you're on the side of Christ, all heaven has your back. You've got the commander, the God of heavenly host, angel armies, countless forces who can go into battle on your behalf to bring about your victory in this battle. Just please keep fighting. Please keep fighting. You've got leaders on this earth who are cheering for you. Some of you students have wonderful, beautiful, loving, caring teachers, school administrators who are cheering for you, holding you up, wanting you to succeed. Some of you have great parents who want you to succeed. I know so many of you have had or have wonderful, godly grandfathers and grandmothers who are up on top of the mountain cheering for you, holding the staff up, bringing you before God. And as this church's pastor, you might say, well, Pastor, is that a burden to carry us in prayer? Oh, absolutely it is. Absolutely. But, but I've, I've got your back. I'm cheering for you. I want you to win, not win things of this world, but I want you to win in regard to finishing the race well and having been faithful to Christ. And I'll hold the staff up as long as I can to make sure that that does happen. Some of you are leaders. If you're the leader, what do you need to do? 
Keep holding your hands up. But it's too hard. I know. Keep holding your hands up. But it's too heavy. I know. Keep holding your hands up. But my hands are going numb. I know. I get it. Keep holding your hands up. Those who are fighting the battle, those that are under your care and responsibility, they need you. Keep the faith. Keep the faith for those who are fighting the battle. And if you are a leader and you find yourself on top of the mountain alone because being a leader is lonely, you've got to invite people up with you. You've got to ask for help. You need to tell people what you need. Tell people what you need. This is why it's so valuable to build valuable, vulnerable, intimate relationships with people who know what you need before you even ask for it. Because when you're going through crisis, when you're going through chaos and someone says, what can I do? How can I help? They don't have any clue how to answer that. But if you're known, and if you know those you lead, they'll bring you exactly what you need when you need it. That's one thing, you know, beautiful about marriage, beautiful about wonderful friendships is is they, they know right when you need grape gum. They know right when you need um, Chipotle. They know right when you need uh, rock stars, sugar-free ones. They, they know what you need when you need it, and they're there like, how can we serve? How can we help? So ask for help. Tell people what you need. So there's warriors. Keep looking up. There's leaders. Ask for help. Tell people what you need. And if you're like, Pastor, I don't know what I am. I'm unsure of who I am. Here's what you are. You are a pillar. If you don't know at the time if you're a warrior, if you don't know at the time if you're a leader, then you are a pillar. You're a pillar. You're support. And you do play the most important role of all. Others need you so that others can depend upon your faith. And I know that sounds sacrilegious. It almost sounds uh, heretical, that I'm going to depend on someone else's faith. And of course, we have to have our own faith. Each person has to have their own relationship, trust, faith in Jesus Christ. However, there's a story in the Gospels of a man who was paralyzed. And his friends wanted to get him to Jesus so that Jesus could heal him. But it was too crowded. It was too busy around the house that Jesus was in. And so his friends carried him up to the top of a roof. And they tore through the roof, and they lowered his body down in front of Jesus. And then the scriptures say something weird. It says, Jesus saw their faith, and he healed him. It doesn't say Jesus saw the paralyzed man's faith. It doesn't mean Jesus saw, like, faith as if faith is some obscure, mystical thing. It says Jesus saw their faith. I believe there are times where you are utterly paralyzed from having any faith at all because of what life is thrown at you. And you need to be able to lean on the faith of others. And all the arguments in your head, but... but I can't, you can't lean on your grandma's faith to get into heaven. You, I, I get it, trust me, I know. But there are times where you just need to lean on someone else's faith, a pillar when you have none for yourself. Others need you. Jesus can see your faith and, and can intercede and work and act on behalf of those who are holding you up. So last three verses, 
It says, the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. We actually aren't given a ton here that appears throughout scripture, but a couple things to note. What was Joshua doing? Joshua was the one, and again, this graphic and, and horrible, but he was the one killing people. He was the one taking blows. He was the one getting pummeled. He was the one in the midst of the battle. He was the one really suffering. You thought holding your arms up was real hard. How about having what essentially is like Iron Age combat in the year 1300 BC? That's terrifying. And Joshua needed to be reminded through the difficult, chaotic, stressful time he went through. Joshua needed to be reminded like, hey, Joshua, remember when I came through for you? God to Joshua, remember when I was there for you? You know how, how you defeated the Amalekites? Joshua, let me remind you how good you defeated the Amalekites. Well, how good did I do it, God? So good that you're going to defeat them forever that every battle is already won in me. And Joshua would go on to fight radically more difficult battles than this. But if it wasn't for this battle, and if it wasn't for Moses writing it down to remind him, he may have forgot. And when God would tell Joshua as he entered into the promised land 40 years later, be strong and courageous, take hearts. He may have not been able to do that had someone, Moses, a leader, a pillar, wrote it down for him. Sometimes you need people to remind you of God's past faithfulness so that you can complete the battle that you are in today. And by just reminding them of that, that alone can be and is a pillar. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. Um, Basically, a Hebrew translation here would be uh, Yahweh Nisi. The Lord is my banner. God is my victory. God's my flag. God's what I'm going to proclaim all day long. Moses didn't win the battle. Aaron didn't win the battle. Hur didn't win the battle. The army didn't win the battle. Joshua didn't win the battle. The battle belonged to God. He's the one who gets the victory. God is my banner. He said, because... Hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. There's a play on words. I don't know if you noticed it. Where Moses, what did he do? Lifted up his hands to God to fight with the people. Where the Amalekites went wrong is the Amalekites lifted up their hands against God to fight against God's people. And so when the enemy comes in, Isaiah, there's this verse, I'll paraphrase, it says when the enemy comes in like a flood, we'll, we'll raise a banner. But when the enemy comes in with their hands raised against God, what the people of God do is we raise our hands to God. And we fight the battle in a strange way with God. Because God's our victory. He's our banner. He is the flag. He's the pennant. He's the LED sign. He is the thing that we keep our eyes 
focused on. And I know we have flags here around the world that, that commemorate different movements in different countries, and, and those, those are okay. It's not idolatry if you're not worshiping those things and if your allegiance to those things isn't above your allegiance to God and to loving other people. But the ultimate flag that we ought to be waving it's not a Democrat or Republican or American or a NATO or a UN or an Olympic or any other flag. Our flag, our banner is God Most High, Yahweh. God is our banner. So because their hands were lifted against God, we lifted our hands to God to fight the battle and have him be our victory. God is our banner. I'm going to ask Kim to come up. She's going to close us in a song today. If you'd like prayer uh, this morning for anything while we sing or after you're dismissed, um, we have some team members that would love to pray for you today. Um, But if you could just close your eyes and bow your head just for a moment of little distraction. might just have a moment of of silence here just as um, waiting on God to lead us in this time of worship and prayer and ministry. Um, Here's what I'm sensing, though, is that um, some of you have been in the battle, whatever that battle may be, um, but but you've you've lost sight of, uh, of a leader on top of the mountain. First and foremost, you're, you need to put your eyes on Christ. But for whatever reason, Christ uses people um, to lead and, and to do his work. And, and some of you may have been disillusioned uh, by leaders up on top of the mountain because, because they let you down. Moses would soon let every person in that battle down. But the object wasn't to keep their eyes fixed on Moses. It was to keep it fixed on God, and Moses was just the conduit for that taking place. If you feel like you're in a battle without a leader, I just want to encourage you, just because you've been let down before, it doesn't mean that others will let you down in the same way. Just because you've been discouraged by someone before who may have been in a position of authority, responsibility over you, leadership with you, it it doesn't mean that you can't follow. It doesn't mean that you can't follow people as they follow Christ, as Paul said. And so there are, if, if you're looking for just, someone, I, I need someone that I, that, I can, that I can just at least look to while I fight the battle, I, I want you to pray about that. God, reveal to me who, who I can depend on, who I can trust on. It might be even a larger scale, not just like I need a mentor or something. It might just be, I, I need a pastor. I need I need a church that I can come under the, the banner of the fact that God is my banner. And, and if it's this church, wonderful. If it's not, I know dozens of pastors in the city that are godly leaders that will stand up on the mountain for you with a staff in their hand. Either way, this is just unapologetically, you need to get back in church. You need to get back in church. So, Pastor, we're in church today. I know, it's one Sunday. You need to get back in the game. You need to get back in the battle. You need to start fighting again.
You need to start being in fellowship again. You need to start serving again. You need to start giving again. You need to start being under submission to someone's authority again. You, you need that. If you're here and if you find yourself leading, whether it's in work or in your family or at your school or in a ministry or in your church, I don't know. But if you're a leader, just ask for help. Ask for help when you're struggling. You know, Moses was going to let all these people down because God was going to instruct Moses to get water from a rock here soon, just like he had before. But Moses would struggle so badly with his temper that instead of just hitting the rock as God told him to, he would hit it repeatedly. And out of reverence for God, God would use that and judge him and not allow him to ever even enter the promised land with people. So what's my point? My point is, you need to ask for help. I'm not saying that that Moses could have been stopped, but I do think if Moses would have said, Whoa, my anger is way too intense right now. Will someone take the staff? Will someone hold on for a minute because I need to cool down? Ask for help. Well, if I ask for help, people will know that I struggle. Oh, no, they'll know you're human. They'll know that you are hurting, broken, and in need of God and his saving grace just like everybody else. Please ask for help. The more you ask for help, the less likely it is that you will fall hard. Ask for help so someone can grab on and pull you back up. Hey, it's okay. Because it's easier to help someone when they're in crisis than it is to restore someone who's fallen. So help someone while they need it as opposed to just being there to pick up the pieces. And lastly, if you're like, hey, I'm I'm support, I would encourage you, um, people ask me all the time, like, Pastor Anthony, why do you ask so many questions? Well, one, I'm an interrogator. And now I like to ask questions. People. I, like to, I like to figure out as much as I can about people so I know how they can be supported when it's needed. I think the more you know about someone, the more you can show them that they care, that you care about them. So ask people questions. Find out what people like. Find out what people love. Find out what people desire. Find out what people's purposes are. Find out what people's spiritual gifts are so that when they do get into a battle, which they will. When they do end up in crisis, leader or warrior, they will. You can come alongside and be a pillar. Um, When I was going through the most difficult battle of my life, I had a a dear friend, I don't know if he's here today, but his name's Adam, and he, he, he was the first person to show up. He was the first person to show up, and, and the guy held my arms up for about, I mean, he still is, but, but for all intents and purposes, for like a solid year, he held him up. And he just was there. And some, that's all you need. You just need someone to be there. You just need someone who can hold your hands up. And they know what you need because they really know you and care about you. So how can you be a pillar to someone? You might say, well, I'm too old. I'm not cool enough. I'm th- that, people don't care about that. They just want pillars. I don't care if a pillar has wallpaper on it if it's got paint on it, if it's got shiplap on it. I don't care. I just want pillars to hold me up. So be a pillar. Step in. You're, you're not irrelevant. You're actually foundational. You're needed. And it might mean you're just praying your guts out all the time. It might mean that you're just offering support. It might mean that you, you look and you notice that there is a, you know, a kid's leader or someone serving in the church that you can bless as a pillar because you know what it was like when you were in their place doing some of the hard work where now you're the foundational work. 
So that's my encouragement for you today. Next week, we're going to talk about delegating. But for now, I would just ask you, do you know Jesus? All this means nothing if you don't know Christ. Do you know Jesus? Jesus knows you. All things were created by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus, and in Jesus, all things hold together. We've sinned against him. We've rebelled against him. We've committed treason against him. But it's not God's desire that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. So, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him as Jesus Christ will not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So Jesus did come. He lived a perfect life. Aaron, her, Joshua, Moses, me, and you, that we could never live. He died a death in our place, in Moses' place, in Aaron's place, in hers place, in Joshua's place, that we deserve to die. He took all the punishment, all the judgment, all the wrath of his fathers um, for our sin upon himself. That's why scripture says, for our sake, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's an exchange that takes place when you put faith in Jesus. All of his righteousness is given because he takes all of our sin because he became that sin and was punished for that sin. So he died. And because he was without sin and the creator of life itself, he had the authority to pick his life back up. He rose from the grave. And through his resurrection, he proves his victory over the battle. That Jesus Christ has victory over Satan. Jesus Christ has victory over sin. Jesus Christ has victory over death. Jesus Christ has victory over hell. And so he gives that victory freely. We call it freedom. He gives us freedom freely because it's for freedom that Christ set us free. And it's a gift of grace. You don't deserve it, neither do I. But God willingly hands it to us. And like with every gift, we must receive it in faith. So no good deed, good words, or good behavior will ever take care of your sin issue between you and God. Jesus did that for you. All he wants is your trust in return. Jesus, I trust you. I submit my life to you. I surrender my life to you. You're fighting my battles. You're the victory. You have the victory. You're all I've got. And I'm willing to give it all for you. And if you'd say, Pastor, today, that's, that's me. With no one looking around with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If you say, today, I, I choose Jesus. I never have before, but I, I don't have the answers to all my questions. I certainly don't have life figured out. But I, I, I know Jesus is the answer, and I want to submit my life to him. That's you. Would you raise your hand up as high as you can, put it right back down, and say, hey, Pastor, would you pray for me this week? Would you just pray with me? And I just want to celebrate with you, like, I need Jesus. Amen. Anybody else say, Today, I just, I choose Christ. I need Jesus. I need relationship with him. I want to trust in his life. I want to trust in his death. I want to trust in his resurrection. If that's you, if you'd say, I, I've submitted, I've chosen my life um, today to give it to Jesus. Raising your hand doesn't save you, but your act of faith does. So the Bible says, if you would confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, God is my banner. And you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. God is my victory. Then you are saved. So if you've put faith in Jesus, you're saved. Victory belongs to you. 
And while we're moving towards complete freedom together, freedom in a new heaven and a new earth, freedom where Jesus returns, freedom where the dead are raised in Christ, freedom of forever with Jesus. While we're walking towards that, there will be battles. But you've got brothers and sisters that are fighting with you. You've got leaders that are interceding for you. And you've got pillars that are holding you up. Would you stand with me? God, I thank you for uh, this, this time today. Thank you, God, for your word. Pray we'd be encouraged, God. Um, encourage every warrior. Strengthen every leader. And God, I pray that you would um, allow us to honor every pillar. Thank you, God, for new life in you. Thank you for victory in Jesus' name. Amen.